Hi, I'm Chris Kraft, and this is The Career Queer. This podcast is meant to look at the lens of our work lives through the LGBTQ lens. I said lens twice. Good job. Whether you work at an office, at a construction site, in an art studio, or in a cafe, we all have to manage professional relationships while still staying true to our identity. This podcast is meant to help with that. My co-hosts aren't going to be household names, but that's what makes this project so cool. We're all experts in our own little way, and I want to show as many facets of queer work life as possible using stories of people who are making big waves wherever they are. My guest today, I'm so excited, is a very good friend of mine. His name is Andy Chomsland. Andy is a gay millennial, born, raised, living, and working in St. Paul, Minnesota. He works in human resources and supports the LGBTQ group at work. He spends his time keeping his plants alive, listening to Lady Gaga's new album, and keeping himself and others educated on what's going on in the world. Welcome, Andy. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. So during this podcast, Andy and I are going to be discussing how to influence those around us when we are not directly in charge of them, a tricky problem that involves a lot of different motivations. We're also going to spend a lot of time talking about leadership and how leadership can work in a lot of different ways. But first, Andy, how do you get to work? feel pretty fortunate right now that I do get to work from home. So since everything started with quarantine, kind of middle of March, uh, our company actually gave us the opportunity to work from home, really just to, uh, you know, safety reasons, I guess. So I get to work from home right now. I have a pretty good home office setup. I uh, feel pretty comfortable with that. You know, I have my double monitor and everything like that. More so, I do get to work with a lot of really great people in our organization. I have a really, really supportive team. We're all really high achievers. We're all very hard workers. Um, most days, we're probably putting in like 10 hours of work into like eight hours. So it's just like kind of a go, go, go group that I work with, which is really awesome because that just aligns closely with kind of, you know, who I am as a person. I like to be on the go. I like to be kind of always doing something. Um, and I also get to do a lot of things at work that aren't exactly work. I do a lot of volunteer work through our employee resource groups at, uh, at our company. I'm actually a member of all of our employee resource groups. So I get to go to all different types of uh, meetings, lunch and learns, have a lot of really great food, learn about different cultures. Also have a leadership position on the LGBTQ plus uh, employee resource group that Chris had mentioned. So yeah, I get to do a lot of really cool things at work. I get to work with a lot of really cool people. And most importantly, I get to do what excites me. I love that. Thank you so much for that response. So when I originally asked that question, I definitely was thinking of like, how do people transport themselves to work? Because I definitely want to think about how can we be thinking of getting to work that's not just by car, but like how can we know that other people take the bus or bike 
or scooter or walk. Um, but I love that answer so much. That's why I was being kind of vague when you asked me for clarification. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, prior to quarantine, I did get to work by bus. I did take the bus to work, to and from work. Um, I live super close to work. I could probably walk to work if I wanted to and you know, so many minutes or whatever. But yeah, I do get to work by the bus if I was going into the office. The bus is great. So Andy, as you mentioned, you and I do a lot of work together as part of an employee resource group. Um, Employee resource groups, they're also known as ERGs, affinity groups, or business resource groups. They're like employee clubs that people can join to not only find other people who have the same identity as them or have a similar interest in a topic as them, but also to learn about different identities from your own. So when Andy was saying that he's a part of all of them at our company, that means that he's part of not only the LGBTQ plus one, which is pride, which is we're both part of that, but he's also part of Eco Essence, which is our employee resource group for Black and African American folks and other folks of African descent. We also have one that's for young people, and there's one for admin assistance, so they can really cross the board um, depending on what sort of community needs support. So it's been a lot of fun. I've learned so much about different people's experiences through ERGs. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I, I decided to join all of them just in an act of allyship so that I can learn a lot about different cultures, about different individuals. Yeah. <laughs> learn about different individuals. Yeah. So it's been really fun to just kind of get that exposure and get that education. Andy and I have both um, been leaders of our LGBTQ plus employee resource group. And being a leader, at least in my experience, is like leading a club where Andy and I have our day jobs. So I work in finance, Andy works in HR, but we also have what I like to call our gay jobs, which is leading our LGBTQ group. I've been a leader in the group for a few years, and I was actually the person who initially met with Andy to talk about joining our leadership team. Andy, do you remember that conversation? Yes, of course I remember that conversation. (laughs) How could I ever forget it? Yeah, it was... It was great. It was so, such a good conversation. What I really remember, you know, coming out of that conversation is just how, how I felt that you were accepting me for one, and also really giving me a chance to shine. So the position that I initially took on was a communications lead, um, which really entails sending out emails, newsletters, putting together um, calendar holds for all of our our members, and really just kind of communicating with them on a pretty regular basis. Obviously, a lot of collaboration goes in um, with all the other leadership team members, but I'm kind of the one that, you know, press send on the on the emails. Yeah, I would say that you've been so great at that because you're not afraid to correct people when they have grammatical errors or spelling errors. But you're also really good about looking through the content and making sure all the content is there. So I think even though that it doesn't sound like a super like sexy role, you really, really threw yourself into that role and really expanded what that role means. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I would agree with that. I think that's something that we all can do, you know, whether it's in our day jobs or in our gay jobs or volunteer experiences, even, you know, in our relationships, in our family, just kind of always thinking 
what else can we do here? You know, yes, yes, we have a really good substantial, in this case, email, or yes, we have a really good substantial event, but what more can we do? How can we make this more inclusive? How can we make this more accessible? You know, should we be inviting other people? Should we be making this a virtual event as well? Just kind of, you know, what's next is really my thought process. You know, what more can we be doing here? Yeah, so you mentioned that I, quote unquote, took a chance on you. From my side of the table, what I really saw was some, like we just met in a Starbucks. And what I really saw come across was that you were very passionate about the gay community and that you were really looking for a way to get involved. And that was after you had been an attendee at our event. So I knew that you kind of got how it worked already. I think another part of being a leader especially for like a club like that where you're selecting different people to join a leadership team is picking people who have an opportunity to develop. So what kind of skills did you develop as a communications lead? So some of the leadership skills that I developed were really how to organize a large group of people towards a common goal. I think that with Pride, obviously, typically our common goal is coming together and talking about LGBTQ plus topics, um, sometimes volunteering, and really just being able to say, this is what we want to do. This is when we're going to do it. Come if you can. Let's all do it together and achieve this goal. Yeah, I love that. So how do you think that getting to work as part of this leadership team has influenced your day job as a recruiter and a human resources professional? Yeah, I think it has had such a big impact on me just with my day-to-day motivation. I think in anyone's job, potentially, you can kind of lose motivation if you're doing the same thing day after day after day with no you know, nothing fun, nothing exciting there to kind of break it up. And so that's where pride for me breaks it up. It gives me something to, you know, look forward to. It gives me something fun to do at the end of the week. It gives me something to, you know, take a break over lunch, go sit somewhere else and type up a pride newsletter, you know, and then I come back to my desk after lunch, feeling more motivated, and I can put that motivation into my day job. Yeah, something that you have written down in the notes, because of course, I'd like to do notes before the show is that I've really learned that people are truly good at heart. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. I think how I've seen that come into play, especially the last couple of months here while we're in quarantine, uh, as well as everything going on around the murder of George Floyd, Black Lives Matter protests, people organizing, is that when people see that there's a need, when people know that you know others are struggling, People want to come together. People want to give. They want to love, you know, and I think that really all comes from the heart. I think that in times of need, we really do see that individuals want to help each other. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Speaking of people who like like to help and like just to do something a little above and beyond, I would say that a lot of like our ERG work has revolved around pushing our company on different initiatives. So for example, last fall, our pride group was really pushing on how do we make sure that during this time where the Trump administration has been trying to take away a lot of rights for transgender individuals, what can we as a company do to stand behind our transgender community? And our CEO signed this action plan 
Um, our dirt, we have like a diversity and inclusion action plan that we've signed on to. And ERGs are a huge part of pushing forward that work. So something that you definitely took the lead on and totally executed on, and I'm just thrilled about this, is that you leveraged all of your skills in your position within Pride. Because as a reminder, like, I don't know how Andy considers his job, but I'm definitely like lower on the totem pole in terms of like actual power in my organization. We leveraged our skills and Andy definitely leveraged his skills to initiate pronouns to be put into our email signatures. We work for a $13 billion Fortune 500 company and Andy really used his influence and initiative to get that done. Andy, can you talk a little bit about what that process was like for you and what sort of learnings did you get out of it? Yeah, I would love to. That is such a great accomplishment for me as well. And I think for as a team, as a pride team, uh, we really moved the needle there. So yeah, I can kind of tell tell a little bit about the story behind it. So I was, funny enough, on Instagram one day, uh, and I saw that one of my friends posted a story. She actually works at 3M here in the cities. Um, and her Instagram story was really describing some of the initiatives that 3M was taking to add pronouns to their email signatures and really just make the workplace more inclusive for trans as well as non-binary or non-gender conforming individuals. And so I was thinking to myself as I was reading this Instagram story, I was like, well, if 3M can do it, why can't we do it too, right? So (laughs) that's kind of how it started. Um, I really just kind of started reaching out to anyone who... um, I thought might be able to help. So I reached out first to the enterprise lead um, for Pride, which is basically just the Pride ERG across the entire company rather than um, just in the Twin Cities. So I reached out to them, kind of put it on their plate. Um, I reached out to the global communications team because I knew um, just from working with them in the past that they maintain our signature. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I I connected with one of them. Um, and then I also connected with one of the individuals who leads our Workday team. Oh, awesome. So Workday is a human resources software? Well, so we, we use it across the entire company for employee tracking. So it yeah. basically tracks all of the employees that we have at the company. But we do use it in HR for recruiting as well. Yeah. So like... It's just a software. So when Andy talks about Workday, that's what it means. Yeah, yeah. So after those conversations, kind of going back to the part that I was talking about before where people, you know, people care. You know, I was having these conversations and I was like, yeah, other people care about this too. Other people at Ecolab want this. You know, how can we collaborate? How can we partner? How can we get this done? Essentially, you know, how can we as a company update our our email signatures to include pronouns. (laughs) Yeah, because I mean, and the other piece of this too, is that it's not just about working for a company that is LGBTQ plus positive. But if you're ever running against an issue with people who don't want to take part in pronouns, or they don't get why it's important. I always use the example of when you're emailing with someone. And if you're in like a big group email with a bunch of people, you don't always know what pronouns everyone uses, especially if it's somebody whose name in the United States is Taylor or... Or Chris. Or Chris. Yeah, one of the reasons why I don't go by Chris at work is because I never wanted to be misgendered and I didn't want people to assume I was a man. That was like earlier on in my career. 
versus I don't know if I'd care as much now. Um, but like, those are, like that's a really big deal. People spell my name wrong all the time, and I have like a super generic kind of normal name. Um, so when we work with people who live in Dubai, who live in India, who live in China, and in order to make our company more global, more inclusive, and a better place that's good for everyone, we need to add in these little things that help people figure out how to navigate these structures. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, one of the conversations I had in the process was around the business case for inclusion. And really the business case for inclusion isn't why would we do this? It's why wouldn't we do this? If more people are going to feel included, uh, why wouldn't we do it, right? And it costs nothing. Exactly. Like it costs some time, but like in the grand scheme of things, it's not it's not going to cost you anything. And it just it helps us really capitalize on what those values are. I think Having values-driven conversations is so important right now. Um, I was reading an article from, so Fortune has these like newsletters they send out every day, and one of them is called CEO Daily. They reflected on that during this time of COVID, that all these CEOs really went back to their values and purpose and their mission of their companies because they know that they're not going to make as much money right now, that our economy is down and you know, our memories are long enough that we remember the last time the economy was down this much. And companies are really thinking about, okay, but what can I do to reinvest, stay true to that mission statement, and really think about why we're here. Making money is imperative to the survival of our organization, but it do- it is not why we exist. So for like Best Buy, we exist to improve people's lives through technology Ecolab is we make people's lives better through clean water, abundant energy, and healthy environments. I remember. I've worked at this company. You missed one. Which one? Safe food. Safe food. Clean water, safe food, healthy oh, environments. Oh, that's right. We spun off the energy. Yeah, oh my that's God. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Ecolab's mission is to make the world better through safe food, clean water, and healthy environment. So our CEO has been really thinking about how do we do that in these times of crisis? And he's being recognized for that from major publications for just doing the right thing, um, which I think is really interesting as like another perspective on leadership. Andy, another reason why I wanted to have you talking though um, is because you're also getting your master's right now. Can you tell me a little bit more about your master's degree and why you decide to pursue that. Yeah, I actually kind of joke with my boyfriend every once in a while that if it were up to me, if school was free, I would be in school for the rest of my life just because I love learning so much. It's such, I don't know, there's just something about like knowing a new piece of information that you had never even thought about before. And it's like, what? That's a thing. Okay, cool. Like, what can I do with that now? I'm getting my master's degree right now in leadership and management from a a school here located in in the cities. I decided really to to get this master's degree at this time kind of for selfish reasons. Um, I just thought it would be really fun um, to get a master's degree. And I know that sounds super privileged of me because it is a privilege to be able to say that. But um, I did a, a leadership undergrad or yeah. 
I did a. You don't remember what you <laughs> went to school for? <laughs> no, I did a. I did a minor in leadership during my undergrad. Yeah. So I kind of had a baseline knowledge. I don't think it's selfish of you to get a master's degree if it helps make you a better, more informed citizen. Yes, it's privileged, but I mean, at the same time. The fact that you're recognizing that is a huge step forward in the right direction. Because I can tell you, like, 15 years ago, were we even having conversations like this? Probably not. No, no. 15 years ago, was I even, like... (laughs) How old was I 15 years ago? (laughs) 10? That's math. We don't do math. (laughs) No, but, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I... So, yeah, getting my master's, leadership, leadership and management. I'm doing it really because I have a really strong interest in leadership theories and how I can apply that leadership to make myself better, to make others better, you know, make the people I'm working with better. And hopefully in turn, there will be some sort of larger cause that comes out of that or larger solution. Well, I think you've already really demonstrated that natural leadership ability. The way that I've seen you lead others and the way that you lead your team and the way that you bring others along with you on that journey. So I don't know. I think you're doing great. <laughs> Thank you. It's so weird for me <laughs> to like hear nice, you know, I, I don't know. I think we all kind of struggle with like hearing nice things about us. But thank you. Yeah. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks. So in the notes, it says that you just wrapped up a financial leadership class. Was that super challenging <laughs> or was that fun? It was more daunting than it actually turned out to be. So this was like a financial class for non-financial individuals so it really just like was a finance 101 basically didn't get too in-depth like if you ask me to read a balance sheet I might be able to do it um don't quote me on that I know about (laughs) stocks I know about bonds I know about like 20-year savings accounts yeah no that's really fun um I literally work in finance and I've had jobs in accounting but And my biggest takeaway from getting a degree in that, and especially as I'm getting ready to pursue my um, MBA, is just that finance people love to put a bunch of jargon into stuff to make things harder than it actually is. If I was somebody who was really interested in like money, like if I was like the next Susie Orman, which I don't have any plans to be, (laughs) she's like a personal finance guru. She has like a short haircut and she's always like, you can make the money. She has uh, definitely like a can I talk to the manager haircut. Oh, yeah. But she's she's smart and like she really believes in everyone's ability to like make money and to like budget well. And I find her books really fun to read. That's what I find like the best money people out there who talk about personal finance make money approachable, fun and achievable. Uh, Susie Orman does that really well. So, But my point is, is that if I was a personal finance person, I would strive to dumb down all of that jargon to just say in plain terms what everything is. Yeah, yeah. A lot of acronyms. A lot of acronyms. A lot of weird words. Yeah, well, I think the one that irks me the most is when people say points, when they, like, when they're talking about percentages, they'll be like, Oh, that's one one PP or one BP. And what they mean is it's a percentage point or it's like 0.1 of a percentage point. I don't remember all of that. 
And I'm like, just say percentage. <laughs> Try not like, because it makes people like really scared because they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. PP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> PP. Oh, yeah. You're an adult. You're an adult. I might be. Okay. Andy, you're getting your master's in leadership, which is a huge, awesome step. How are you modeling that leadership now? And what do you want to be doing in the future for that? Is there anything that you really have to keep in mind or have watchouts for when you're working as part of a team? Yes, I definitely think so. There there definitely are a couple of watchouts that I just have really in the front of my mind kind of on a daily basis. Um, kind of like I said before, it is a place of privilege not only to be able to get these types of degrees, but also to say that I'm doing it in leadership because not everyone gets a chance to be a leader on a daily basis. In my undergrad leadership classes, um, one thing that I really remember is one of my professors in my undergrad leadership class sat me down. We were having a really good conversation around leadership, and she brought up this idea of active listening. And I think that was kind of the first time that I heard the term active listening. And she really said to me, you know, you as a white man who is striving to be a leader in this community, in this world, you need to listen much, much, much more than you are speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really have carried that on um, throughout my education, through my undergrad, through my master's. And I do use that in my work. Yeah, I I think that that gets to something that a lot of people really struggle with is listening. Um, I know I struggle with it. People in general just really struggle with it because you're so excited to speak and you're so excited to be part of that conversation that it can be hard to wait and listen and hear what somebody's actually saying. How have you continued to like build that muscle and build that skill set? Yeah, yeah. I think um, so in human resources, I don't know if I should say this. Is it fine to say that like HR is a like woman dominated field, you think? I think that that is very accurate. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So uh, in HR, so I work in HR. Uh, HR is kind of a a historically woman dominated field. So I am really only one of the few men actually on my floor. Um, So what I do, and again, this is a very active thing that I do, you know, doesn't necessarily come natural to me. It's something I'm always thinking about. Whenever I'm in a meeting, I try not to be the first one to speak. You know, I try to allow other individuals who are mainly women to answer questions, to give their input. And then if I have something that I really think I need to say, if I have something that's going to add value, I will say it. If I have a urge to just talk for the sake of talking, for the sake of hearing my voice, I'll just try (laughs) not to do it. Yeah, I think that's such a good point because I, so I work in finance and, which I said, I don't need to say that again. So where I work, I feel like so much pressure is put on people to just say things, to have your voice in the meeting. And I work in a very male dominated uh, function. And so just to hear you saying that where it's like, is what I'm saying adding to the value of the conversation? I don't think anyone that I work with does that. I feel like so many meetings, we go around and around in circles. 
because no, no one is engaging in active listening and no one is saying things just to add to the conversation. People are just saying things to continue to protect their point of view. So I love that you said that because mind blown. I totally yeah. need to think about that too. Yeah. Yeah. We're just like pausing to take it all in. Yeah. <laughs> um, It's just messed up. Like, yeah. It's oh, messed it up. Yeah. So I'm just really like struck by how important it is to like listen to people. And I think like kind of bringing it back to being queer in the workplace and our identity is so intertwined with our racial identity, our class identity, I think more so than like other identities, right? So like, because when you're in a boardroom or boardroom, <laughs> um, when you're in a meeting, you're not constantly saying like, well, I'm gay, therefore I have this perspective. But so like, how is that? Like, has that ever been something that you think about? Maybe I'm not being clear because I'm just coming up with this off the top of my head. So I do think about that. Yes. Um, I think about it in a little bit different. I think a little bit of a different way than I think what you are saying. So I agree, you know, first and foremost, the identity that you see me as, as you know, the identity that anyone would see me as is a white man. You know, they don't necessarily... You know, you can't really see that someone's gay yeah. um, just looking at them. So I, I do struggle with that a little bit. And it's almost to the point, not necessarily at work, but more so in my personal life where it's like, I want people to see that piece of my identity. I do want people to know that I am a gay man because that's, that is very integral to my identity. It's super important to me. Yeah. But so I don't <laughs> that I don't, doesn't really answer your question. But. No, and I don't know where I was going with it. I just think I think what I'm trying to get at is never mind. I don't know what I was trying to get at. Um I know what you mean. I know what you're trying to say. Yeah. I just don't know I need more time to like think and reflect on that, I think. <laughs> before I like give you my like full <laughs> answer. Well, and it's a whole other like probably like subject, but I think it's just like I think that that's why I started this podcast is just because I wanted people to hear other queer voices that are out there doing this work um, and being leaders in their workplaces. And we're talking about leadership in this particular podcast, but like no one's an expert on any of these topics. I just want your perspective as as a gay man, which this is one of the few mediums in which people don't know your race, like because all they're hearing is your voice. And because you're on this podcast, they probably think you're gay. Like, so it's kind of like that flip of a script. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I, yeah. There's certain ways that we do show up as different parts of our identity. Right. Yeah. And it, it does matter kind of the medium that other individuals are receiving us through. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> so... When we're talking about skills and we're talking about, like, how do we listen appropriately, which is something like how to speak appropriately, how are we adding to that conversation? But I think, especially for people who are earlier on in their careers, and something that I really enjoyed learning from whenever I took project management training, and something that I definitely utilized a lot as being a leader in pride, is how to truly influence when I had no power. Especially in situations like Pride, 
where the purpose and the drive of the project is very intrinsic. Like when I'm doing a project on savings, I can say by doing this project, we'll generate XYZ number of savings. And that's an extrinsic motivator for people. But when we're talking about like, we want to make the workplace a more LGBTQ friendly place because we want to make sure that we're attracting LGBT people um, and we want to make sure that we're retaining people and we want to make sure that we're doing those same things for people who are allied to that community. That's more intrinsic. And I use the word woohoo or woo, sorry, not woohoo. That's how Sims have sex. Um, <laughs> so when the project is more intrinsic and more woo-woo as like making the workplace better, it can be really hard to get people to show up for that kind of work. Yet we've really seen people showing up and wanting to participate in that work. Just earlier this week, we had a virtual Pride Month celebration that had over 100 people from all over the United States, South America, and Europe participating and celebrating being part of this community. Why do you think people show up for that, but may not be as like motivated to show up for maybe that XYZ project savings meeting? Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to something that you were saying a little bit earlier, you know, something that you saw in me when I first joined Pride was passion, mm-hmm. right? I think people feel passionate about helping others. People feel passionate, especially at our place of work, about making an impact, about inclusion, about making sure that we have a very diverse place of work, that diverse voices are being heard. And so when we put something out into that community saying, here's an opportunity for you to show your passion. Here's an opportunity for you to actively make this place of work more inclusive people will show up because that aligns with their values as well. So maybe that other project, you know, some people are probably passionate about putting together finance reports. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) But there's always someone out there who has passion for it. And I think you just have to find those people. I think that that goes into a huge thing about motivation. I've been reading this book called Drive by Daniel Pink. And he talks a lot about extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. And he talks about this motivation model where you really have to know what drives people's purpose and passion. Like what is going to get them out of bed in the morning? What is going to make them feel like what they're doing matters? And I think a lot of managers don't really understand that. And I don't even think a lot of people understand that about themselves. I was asked last year, and have your has your manager ever asked you this where they're where they just say like what motivates you? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Gotten that question lots of times. Yeah. yeah. And I think most people are like money, especially when you're talking yeah, to a yeah, manager. Um yeah. it, but at the end of the day, money is actually not as effective of a motivator because if you think about it, our company says that it's a pay for performance company. But the times where I've gotten good merit raises or times when I've gotten like less than good or times where I've gotten excellent ratings versus like more middle of the road ratings, those have never been a driver for me to like 
push through the rest of the year on. When I'm feeling driven and motivated, it's because the project I'm working on has impact. It's something tangible. It's going to be used by people, not only me, but other people I work with. Um, I think it's useful. Like that's the kind of stuff that motivates me. Money is such a small motivator, but it can be a great demotivator um, as yeah. well. Yeah. No, I think you make some really great points there. Yeah. I really like what you just said. I also think, so for me, I'm kind of like an extroverted introvert in many ways. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. So I think some projects I can feel motivated doing by myself. Other projects I need other people around me to motivate me to get them done. Mm -hmm. So I feel like maybe that plays into it a little bit. Also, um, you know, the passion, maybe if I'm feeling a little bit less passionate, I need someone kind of at my side telling me to keep going. If I'm feeling more passionate, you know, I can kind of take the reins and do it by myself. So I think that kind of people factor plays into it a little bit as well. Yeah. So it makes me think about Brene Brown, who just has a lot of really great things to say about how people work and about like shame and guilt. Because I almost think that like what gets me through some of the hardest times at work is just like this like gnawing feeling of guilt and shame and like worry and anxiety. And it's such an unhealthy place to be. So true. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Like because oh, I'm not doing good enough. I'm not executing enough. I'm not doing this enough. And so I think that if you're a manager or if you're ever a leader of people, I think that instead of telling, instead of this weird model that we have where we only tell people when they're doing things wrong, I think that we need to spend more time telling people that they're doing things right and in a genuine way, not as like a, oh, I need to give you some feedback, so I'm going to put this in a sandwich sort of way, but just like giving people more feedback about, hey, like, good job doing this. I like see you doing this and I want to encourage more of that behavior. Because I think that if I had managers who were a little bit more engaged on that, or if I felt that when they were giving me compliments, it felt more genuine, I would be much more motivated and confident in my work. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, one, uh, I read this book for my for my master's degree, and there's a couple of chapters on recognition. Oh, yeah. And yeah, exactly. Like you said, genuine recognition is one of the best ways to motivate people in the workplace. And I just don't think it's done enough. I think if I if I could kind of mention also, recognition, I think is kind of like circular, it kind of should be a circular path. Also, um, I think that, and I'm very guilty of this as well, that I want recognition from others I rely on that yeah but I'm not great at giving recognition yeah so I think we need to you know as employees you know start a meeting give someone recognition pop over to their desk give your praise you know thank them yeah no I think that that's huge because even just this year um so Workday, depending on how you use it has this great tool for us that's called like Workday Badges and Anytime somebody helps me or goes above and beyond for me, I am immediately giving them a workday badge. And people are just so thankful. They're like, thank you so much. And it makes their day. And I, I've probably done like 20 or 25 this year because I that's kind of where I was at, where I was like, well, if I want people to be giving me recognition, 
I need to be giving people recognition. And I think that that's a lot of like how we motivate our team for pride is making it a fun place, a creative place, a place where people can come and do what they want, really own their work and a supportive place as well. And I was talking about Brene Brown because I love her call to action of having a strong back, a soft front, and a wild heart. And Andy, have you ever heard of that quote? No, I actually haven't heard that until you said that. I'm mildly familiar with Brene Brown. I actually haven't read any of her books. Uh, my bar, my my bar friend, <laughs> my boyfriend uh, loves Brene Brown, so I do know who she is. I know some of her work, but I don't know that quote. So it's just this whole idea that you need to be self-assured in yourself and have that confident. Um, and then having a soft front is being vulnerable and open with other people. And then wild heart is just like remembering that you're a person and you're human and this is all part of your like intrinsically like human journey. I really hate that there like is so little acknowledgement of people as humans in our workplaces, especially like in times of COVID, the murder of George Floyd and how awful that's been. I like posted about this on my LinkedIn where I was like, I have these like one-on-one meetings with people and especially over the last couple of weeks, I'm just like, there's been a lot going on. There was already a lot with COVID and now we have this murder of George Floyd that literally happened right in our community. How are you doing? No matter if they were black, white, um, Asian, old, young, I was asking a lot of people this and they were like, thank you so much for asking. It's been a struggle. And you're the only person to really ask me how I've been doing and to expect people to be super productive and super on their A game when the world is crumbling around us, I think is not acknowledging that you need people to do this work and people are emotional beings who are impacted by the world around us. Yeah, yeah. I think we so often are not allowed to show that human side of us at work. You know, it's yeah. just kind of that leave it at the door mentality. Yeah. Where exactly like you said, you know, can't really bring it, can't talk about it at work, but we should, we need to. Yeah. No matter what position you're in, I think you can really lead by having that soft front, by being vulnerable and saying, how are you doing? This has been a lot. How can I help you? What are you struggling with? And I think that when you're willing to be vulnerable and say that you're struggling, people are so much more forgiving. It's okay not to succeed sometimes. You know, it's okay to admit that you fail. Yeah. Right? We all do. So in the spirit of admitting when we fail, I think that's something that I've really been learning. There's so much about being a leader or being a professional in the workplace that I don't know about. So I think like part of this whole journey for me has been saying, I don't know. And if you have like a better response, like, please let me know. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think the number one thing that we can do, I mean, at all times is learn, you know, be open to learning. Yeah. Even if you can't go back to school for it. (laughs) Even though we want to. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Andy, for coming to talk to me about leadership, um, your journey, like what you've been working on. If people want to find you on the internet, what is the best way for them to do that? 
I would say if you're looking to connect with me on the internet, probably this is going to sound super lame and like corporate <laughs> or whatever, but add me on LinkedIn. It's like... <laughs> no, I, I think LinkedIn is great. LinkedIn is like, for me, this sounds so nerdy, but I love LinkedIn. There are so many great thought leaders on LinkedIn that if you're not active on LinkedIn, you are missing out on a world of developmental opportunities and a world of like where thought leaders of career development, of leadership development, where they're at. Brittany Brown is on LinkedIn. Yeah, I know. I follow her. Well, thank you so much. As a listener, make sure you subscribe so you can listen to Andy and I tackle some listener questions on Thursday. Until then, remember that you're the captain of your ship and only you can navigate those rainbow waters. Much love. See you next time.